I am never going to Avonlea's small group. Faker. Unless Dylan bakes, then, I, then I'll be there. Um, yeah, if you've ever had anything Dylan's baked, you, you'll agree with that. Um, hey, just as we're starting off, uh, we're in the middle of the series, Be Real, but I um, want to mention this. Save the date. If you are 16 years or older, or you will be 16 by August 11th, um, we are having a kayak trip for men. Um, we go down the Susquehanna. It's, it's awesome, so don't, don't be out of town. Just put that in your calendar as we're, we're looking forward to doing that. We've been talking about being real out of the book of James, and we, the first Sunday, Pastor Josh preached, and he said that, you know, the reality of our faith is, is shown through trials. And then uh, the next sermon, we saw that it, it perseveres through temptation last week, that real faith uh, works itself out in our lives. And uh, we're going to just continue in this series of James and says that real faith is actually really wise as well. Um, but it, it has never been easier to be fake. And uh, so have some baking fakes. Um, so a lot of times you, you see these, like this is what someone wants, you know, this is the fake. This is what it's supposed to look like. And then that's what actually happens. Uh, I like this one as well. Um, you know, this is so cute. That looks like something that should be in a toilet. You know, it just, you see what they're going for, but it just didn't, didn't happen. And, and I can just imagine this four-year-old little girl that loves kitties getting that, you know. Hopefully her birthday was October 31st, you know, so it could, it could, yeah, boy, we have, okay, good. I thought someone was going to start crying. Um, so being real, never has it been easier to be fake. Never, never I think, ha have people desired genuineness more uh, than today. And the Bible is genuine. It's real. It might be difficult to understand. It might be messy at times. It might be hard. But, but it's real life and, and helps us to know how to live in real life. And so real real. Faith is really wise, and the book of James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Proverbs is the wisdom book of the Old Testament, and a lot of, Pro of James is like that. Little several verse segments about a certain um, aspect of life and how we can live wisely. And, and here James is talking about wisdom and the nature of it. Who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, wisdom is different than intelligence, it's different than information. We live in the information age. If wisdom equaled information, we would be the wisest society of human history. But we're not. You know, it, wisdom is the implementation of knowledge. And, and really, anymore, nobody really cares about, about what you know because they can just look it up on the internet anyway. But what they care is about if you can do something with what you know. Nobody cares about what you know about cars. They do care if you can fix a car. Now, now that's a big deal, right? And, and the difference between wisdom and, and knowledge, I'm going to illustrate with this toboggan. Um, if uh, Toboggans and bikes are very similar. If you want to steer that way, what way do you lean? You, you lean that way, yeah. Um, very simple. We learn this when we're growing up. But then there are times as we get a little bit older where it's the opposite. In fact, if you've seen the cartoon cars or if you actually drive a car in Northeast uh, United States um, or in our parking lot, 
which is a sheet of ice with really nice um, gravel put over it so that it's not as slippery, but that was very nice. Um, but if you get in a spin in your car, right, if you hit gravel or if you hit ice and you start going this way, you, you want to steer that way, right, because you're in the spin. You want to steer away from the spin, but is that what you're supposed to do? No, it, it's counterintuitive. You actually, you actually want to turn into the spin in order to get out of the spin and go the opposite direction. In fact, it's the same thing if you're backing up a trailer and you want the trailer to go that way. Do you cut the wheel that way? No, no, no. No, you cut the wheel the opposite way so that it, it you know, it's it just, it's so hard because it's the opposite of what you think. And so I can know in my head how to correct correctly steer when I get in a slide. I can know that in my head and not do it, right? Because it's such a split-second decision, and that's the difference between intelligence and knowledge and wisdom, right? Wisdom is the proper implementation of, of knowledge, and uh, good, didn't fall, all right, like it did in the first service. So, so James is saying, this is what we want. We don't just want knowledge. We don't want intelligence. In fact, a man spoke to me after the first service, so, so true. He says, sometimes I have been afraid of learning more from the Bible because I've been hurt so badly and seen people hurt so badly by people who knew a lot about the Bible. So that's the difference between intelligence and knowledge of God's Word and then the wisdom of using God's Word to heal and help and strengthen and love, or using God's word in order to stab and wound. And so he's saying, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And here's kind of a summary of what that means. You know, wisdom is not seen by what you know or even by what you say. It's seen by what you do. That's real wisdom. And so going back to this verse, uh, you know, show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. This word humility, depending on your translation, you might have a different translation, watching online or here, it might say your meekness. And, and we unfortunately don't have a good, meekness isn't a normal word we use today. And a lot of people think it means weakness, but it actually means the opposite. It means gentle strength. And so an illustration, that's the ice sliding off the roof. Okay, that was a little one. There might be a bigger one later. Sorry, I should ignore that. Squirrel. All right, gentle strength. So I can wrestle my 12-year-old son Daniel in meekness. I cannot wrestle my 18-year-old son Ryan in meekness. Why? Because Daniel, I'm, I am so much stronger than Daniel that I can wrestle and he can really go at it and he won't hurt me and I won't hurt him. But if Ryan and I were really to go at it, I would probably get hurt. He could get, probably both of us would be hurt, but certainly one of us would probably get hurt from that. Why? Because I'm not strong enough and neither is he strong enough to, to have that meekness, to have that gentle strength. And so thinking of wisdom in this, in this context, it's kind of like if you have a child who says to his parent, I hate you. What do you think of the parent who turns back to the child and says, I hate you too. Like, do you think, boy, there's strength. 
there's wisdom, there's, you know, boy. No, you think, what is wrong with that parent? Like, that is a weak parent. That is an insecure parent. That is, that is a parent not in control. Because, because wisdom from heaven, we know godly wisdom doesn't respond in that way. There is a self-confidence or even better, a God confidence that's there that says, okay, you hate me, that's fine. Mommy loves me. <laughs> you know, God loves me. You don't have to love me. I love you. And the answer is still no. <laughs> right? And that's, that's the right way. And so th- he's saying this is what godly wisdom really looks like. It's, it's worked out in what we do and not just in what we know. And this is the exact opposite of what we see in the world today. Um, we see a totally different wisdom. We see a wisdom that is, is you know, you, you get the other side. In fact, I wrote down some um, headlines that might show up in your feed or if you're online or watching things. So-and-so is silenced with this reply. You know, the, the bad guy can't answer a single question. Or the good one, you know, he leaves them speechless. Or she is destroyed by my side. He is humiliated by my side. He's owned by my guy, right? These kinds of titles, and we, we want to see that. Oh, yeah, I want to see so-and-so get, get, you know, man, just shown that they are so stupid, look so stupid and so wrong. I want to see my side, like, have that, like, absolute verbal victory. And, and, and that's, that's not godly wisdom, that's not humility. That's not gentle strength. It's the exact opposite. And, and if your words are weapons, you're not speaking godly wisdom. You're not speaking real wisdom. Um, it goes beyond that. Wis- wisdom is so important. I wrote down a couple areas that I thought that wisdom is especially important. Um, one of those areas is friendships, right? We need wisdom in friendships. We need wisdom in in family relationships, a couple other areas. We need wisdom in teaching, coaching, dating, parenting, technology, entertainment, difficult conversations, bad habits, Bible study, marriage, ex-husbands, ex-wives, in-laws, workplace, confronting neighbors, finances, business, church, government, health decisions, and on and on, right? I mean, every area of our lives, really, we need, we need wisdom. In fact, when I was about 12 years old, I read the story about Solomon and how God came to Solomon and said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And, and God said, if you want long life, you want uh, the defeat of your enemies, you want wealth and riches, just ask. Power, I'll give it to you because I loved your dad and I love you. And Solomon's answer was, I want wisdom. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I have so much responsibility. I, I, I just want to make good decisions. And God said, that is one of the best things you can ask for. And because of that, I'm going to give you all sorts of other things too. And, and I, th- I heard that story when I was 12, and I decided, and I started praying almost every day for wisdom. There's been a couple years in there that I, that I kind of got away from that, and I'm back at it again. And just, God, give me wisdom, because it's so important, not just to know what's right, but to actually put it into practice and know how to put it into practice. And this is the opposite of godly wisdom. If you harbor bitter envy 
and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Bitter envy. See, when James wrote this 2,000 years ago, there were people that wanted to promote themselves. I'm glad that's not a problem today, you know? And actually, bitter envy. One of, one of my problems is sarcasm. Pray for Becky. She, I can be, and, and many times with Becky, I'm not sarcastic with her, but I'll read a news headline or she'll say a news headline and I'll have this super sarcastic, like mean response. And she's like, I know you're not attacking me, but I feel attacked. <laughs> like, like that is just so mean. And in my mind, you know, one of the things I think is that I think if I practice sarcasm, if I practice bitter, bitterness in a safe environment with someone who won't be hurt by it, that'll make me less bitter, right? I'll get it off my chest. Is that how it works? When we, to practice bitterness with a safe place helps us be less bitter? No, it doesn't. Makes us more bitter. And so this is something, unfortunately, that not only do you have to work on, this is something I have to work on. To not be bitter. And to not, you know, selfish ambition, you know. And, you know, sometimes I just want people to know that, you know what, I know something too. Like, I, 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 have, I have insights. I'm smart. I want you to know that, right? And other times people will, you've seen people and they'll drop names, you know. Well, the other day when I was talking to, you know, I don't even know, someone important, you know, and, and, and you just, or, or, or they're just promoting themselves of I'm witty, I'm, I'm smart, I'm, I'm, I'm rich, I'm good, I'm generous, let me tell you about this really nice thing I did for someone the other day. And, and that's not wisdom. That's the opposite of wisdom. The wrong kind of wisdom comes from me and puts me first. It's self-serving, self-promoting, uh, selfish ambition, and, and envy. Um, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And I want to just zero in on those three words, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly does not sound that bad. In fact, I would be tempted to think what I want is earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, then I have the best of both worlds. But that's not what James is saying here. He's saying earthly wisdom is the opposite of heavenly wisdom. It's bad. And, and it's unspiritual. Earthly and unspiritual is this idea of the earth is all there is. There is no spiritual realm. It is just it is just the here and now. You only go around li life one time. This is your one shot. You better make it count. Uh, nobody's going to look out for you except you. This is, this is the earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom. There's no spiritual dimension to things. In fact, I, I don't know if you realize, but we have a state religion in the United States. We are never supposed to have that. It's supposed to be a separation of church and state, but we have a state religion. It's called secularism. It is the only religion that is allowed to be taught. It is the only religion that, that, that really our culture wants to promote in the public school sphere, the public sphere. And, and it has this idea. It's not atheism. You can believe in God and be a secularist. In fact, most secularists and humanists do believe in God. But what it means is God and spiritual things are not important. This life is all that's important, the here and now. And this, 
makes, gives a, a level of desperation to our discourse and our disagreements with others. There's a desperation because this is it. This is it. It's, it's like if you're a, a citizen of just uh, one country, most of you would say, I'm a citizen of just one country, right? What happens in that country is pretty important. But what if you have dual citizenship? What if you're a citizen of another country and, and, and frankly, the, the one that you're worried about isn't the one you care about? You know, my, my friend Shabu, he has citizenship in India and the United States. And if he were to lose his U.S. citizenship, I mean, he likes it. It helps travel easier, but it's okay. His parents were born in India he wasn't born in India, but he speaks multiple Indian languages. He lives in India. He loves India. That, that's, that's where he wants to live and die and stay for the rest of the, you know, he loses his American citizenship, no big deal. I don't know how many of you realize this, but, but I am a dual citizen. I have citizenship in two nations as well. I have an American citizenship, and then I have a heavenly citizenship. Philippians 2 says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to put everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And, and because I have a heavenly citizenship, it just lowers, I'm not as desperate, I'm not as crazy, I'm not as like hyped up about what happens to my American country and my American citizenship. What happens if America go, goes down the toilet? What happens? Well, I, I wasn't going to stay here that much longer anyway. <laughs> I, and I have a citizenship in a much better country than I'm going to, and it just can lower all that angst and all that worry and fear and anger and, uh, we have to, we have to fix this country. No, we don't. I have to fix me. I, I need to love other people, but this isn't my country. And I don't say that from, a, I mean, one of my biggest regrets is I never served in the military. And so I, I love this country. Like I want to see America do good, but, but we got to get past just the earthly, unspiritual Wisdom, because here's where it leads. If, if this earth is the only place there is, and this is your only country, and this is your only time around, and your only chance, that, then that means your value is only in two things, what you are able to do and how long you can do it. And that's human value. If, if earth is all there is, if there's no spiritual realm, then what you can do, how long you can do it, that's what makes you valuable. And what happens if you can't do much anymore? And what happens when you don't have long left to do it? Well, then you're, you're a liability. If you're taking up more people's time and more people's energy and you're not being, uh, uh, you know, contributing, well, then you're a liability. And, and there's this idea of the right to die. It's really big in political circles, promoting it. In fact, there's something in Canada called MAID, Medical Assistance in Dying. It is one of the most dystopian terms I've ever, like acronyms, MAID. Hmm. 
And, and in Canada, they will kill you for free if you can prove or if a doctor will say death is reasonably foreseeable. Now, that's kind of funny because death is reasonably foreseeable for, I think, 100% of the people here, you know. And, but even, even in the medical legal term of what that means, which is I'm no, I don't think anybody really knows what that means, death is reasonably foreseeable. There are a number of people, some of them watching online this, this morning, who had someone tell them, death is reasonably foreseeable for you. And that was years ago. I've met people who decades ago were told death is reasonably foreseeable for you, and they're still living. You know, but, but if this is all there is, that makes sense. In fact, this is where the next step is. So in March of next year, they, they delayed it a year, but the MAID program is going to apply to those with mental illness. And so if you're 18 years old and depressed, and you don't think you're ever going to be happy, then you can, the government can kill you for free too. And th this is where, does that make sense? It does make sense. If this is all there is, then your happiness is all that's important. And if you're never going to be happy again, and if you're not going to be a productive, contributing member to society, well then, yeah, you should die. In fact, it's not just the right to die, it then becomes a duty to die. And older people will be, feel this, oh, if I keep living... I'll rack up medical expenses. It'll take away from my kids and my grandkids. What's best for everyone is that they kill me now. But, but what if there's something beyond the earth? What if there's something beyond the unspiritual? What if there is a spiritual component to human beings which makes your value not because of what you can do for how long you can do it, but your value comes because you are made in the image of God? And you have the breath of the creator of the universe within you. And you are valuable. And your identity is not in what other people say about you. It's not even what you think about you. Your identity is rooted in who God says you are. And he says you are his precious, his precious possession. And he says you're, you're his, his, his child and that he loves you and that you are, you are of value just because of who you are, not because of what you can do. The first service, John and Peg Minor come, and their son Sam was our best greeter that we had in our church. If you remember him from the old building, he'd sit there, and at first he stood there, and then he sat in his wheelchair and just always smiling, laughing, just, just so, and, and he has multiple sclerosis, a very bad, aggressive kind. And he's been in the, out of the hospital a lot lately. He's back in the hospital again. He can't even sit up in bed anymore. And he's losing his voice. And he's two years older than me. And I think the world looks at Sam and says, they talk about quality of life. They talk about what, you know, what could he do? You know what, there, are, there was a nurse, and this was a couple years ago, they used to, go into his room and sit there on her breaks because she said just being around Sam gave her a sense of peace. And he, he still will smile and laugh and make jokes and sometimes you can't understand the joke he's making, but you know he's making a joke because he's smiling, probably ripping into Pastor Brett. 
you know. Um, this is where heavenly wisdom says Sam is valuable. Sam is special. We'll let God take Sam home in God's time, and we're not going to play God. But earthly wisdom, it, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and this is where it winds up, demonic. And um, that's not the wisdom from God. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. Envy and selfish ambition don't sound so bad. Who doesn't want to get ahead? Envy, who doesn't want something that's not theirs? I mean, that's a pretty American thing. You know, to want what's not ours, it's a pretty human thing. And, and it doesn't sound so bad, but where does it lead? Earthly, unspiritual, demonic disorder, every evil practice. Here's, here's where we're going. The right kind of wisdom comes from God and puts others first. That's the right kind of wisdom. And this verse talks about this. There's two verses. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, you know, it comes from God, puts others first. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate. First of all, how do you get the wisdom that comes from heaven? What's the best way to get that? Be with the guy who comes from heaven. <laughs> Read the word inspired by the Holy Spirit from heaven. Right? The wisdom that comes. If you want more wisdom that comes from heaven, we need to spend more time with the one who comes from heaven. When do you do that in your daily routine? Do you do that first thing in the morning? Do you do that part of your, your nighttime routine after you brush your teeth? Do you do that first thing after dinner? Everyone here, even if you are not sure you want to follow Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, this is a bestseller for over a thousand years. It's worth your time. It is a tremendous source of wisdom. And, and you should read it on a daily basis. It's hard to understand. It's a long-term project to, to implement this and put this wisdom in our life and, and, and get it, but it is so important. Some of you, you're no good before 8 a.m., right? No good. Others of you, you're no good after 8 p.m., yeah? So, 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 you know, if you're no good before 8 a.m., don't read the Bible first thing in the morning. Maybe you're, you're the night. Or if you're no good after 8 p.m., don't do it at the end of the night. But, but spend some time in this Word to, to seek out His wisdom. And then it goes on and it says, this is what it looks, looks like. Wisdom from heaven is, first of all, pure, that means it's free from non-truth. A spoonful of lies does not help the medicine of truth go down. Right? Lies are not the sugar. And, and this is important because our culture is screaming at us and saying that if you want to be peace-loving and considerate, you need to lie to people and not be pure. You see, because, because if you don't tell someone, if they, if they think they are something that they are not, and if you don't lie and agree with them about what they think they are that isn't actually true, if you don't lie like that, then you are not peace-loving and you are not considerate. And I, I think that is total baloney. You, you, purity and peace-loving and consideration and submission and mercy and all these things, these are not contradictory virtues. These are not even in tension with each other. This is all the same thing. This is a part of a package. And the most 
loving, considerate, peace, peace-loving thing you could do is tell somebody the truth in a considerate way, in a kind way. It's pure, peace-loving, um, peacemakers. This is, not a, this is not a passive thing where I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and keep the peace kind of thing. This is a restoring thing. This is, I'm going to work to bring two groups that, or me and someone else that don't agree, I'm, I'm going to work to bring them together. Peace-loving, considerate, not being abrasive and harsh. Submissive. We all know that we're supposed to submit, 1 Timothy 2, to governmental power. We're supposed to submit to spiritual authority, it says in Hebrews. We're supposed to submit to, uh, if you're a wife, you submit to a husband. If you're children, you submit to your parents uh, while you're in their home. But the Bible says a lot about submitting to everybody. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or here, you know, if you, if you want heavenly wisdom, it's a submissive wisdom. So what does that mean, that I should be submissive? And to me, I think a good word that helps me understand is agreeable. So if someone at your workplace says, um, Frank's at it again. He did this to me. He did that. Let's go slash his tires. Okay, so then you have to be submissive. So you go slash Frank's tires because your coworker told you. No, 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 because it's also pure. So you can't be pure and slash his tires. But what you do is, okay, so I can't slash his tires. And I can't encourage you to slash his tires, as much fun as that would be. Like, but here's the thing. I've been avoiding Frank because he's so abrasive and because he did this and because he... But in order to submit to you, and you wouldn't say in order to submit to you, but you say, you know what? I, I need to go talk to Frank. But Frank's the boss. You might get fired. But I need to be agreeable to you. I need to be submissive to you and do whatever I can because Frank did this thing that's wrong and I, I need to confront Frank in the right way and, and talk to him. So just that, that submissive thing and, and thinking, what is best for someone else and how can I help someone else achieve what's best for them and what's good for them instead of looking out for me? You're like, I'm not going to Frank. He'll rip my head off. Why don't you go to Frank? You know, then you'll get fired. You know, and, and you know, so, so this, this whole putting others for submissive, full of mercy, mercy means not giving someone the punishment they deserve. Good fruit, we talked about that last week, how financially giving to others, how Rahab stood up to the bullies and stood up to her own government, risked her own life to, to save and help others. Good fruit, impartial, sincere, um, peacemakers. Where in your life are you not living wisely? That's a big one. If you can't hear it online, half the roof just fell off with ice. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, we need to just, how can you put others first? How can you put others first? Um, who, who, who should you put first? Who comes to your mind? Is it a family member? you need to put first in your life? Maybe do what that other person wants? In fact, we have a, some men's, men's group that uh, it's called Radical Mentorship, and one of the tasks for the men in the group that are married is uh, one of the 
applications is choose to lose. Choose to lose something with your wife that you disagree with her about and just choose, you know what? I'm just going to lose that one. And I'm just going to do what she wants. Again, submissive. Do you know husbands are to be submissive to their wives? Did you know that? They're to put her needs first and above their own. And, um, and that's, that's a way that, that you love others. So who can you put first? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's an enemy. That God's saying, here's how you put into practice this heavenly wisdom is you, you need to put that person first and, and think, how can I help that individual? Not how can I help that individual do more wrong or hurt me or hurt other people, but how can I help them really be in a better place? And it, it is just so unnatural. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, this that we were talking about in the beginning, right? If I want joy... And, and just fulfillment and, and advancement, the Bible says it's, it's not a toboggan, it's not a bike. Life is like a car in a tailspin on ice. And if I want joy and I, if I want, you know, just to get ahead, I need to steer this way toward loving others, toward sacrifice. I need to steer toward the tree <laughs> if I want to go away from the tree. Jesus says you need to steer toward the cross and sacrifice and give. If you want a life, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, but how is it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you as well. We're going to, close with the just remembering what Jesus did for us because really as we read all these things, I thought, who does this remind me of? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. This is Jesus. This is his life and what he's done for us. And so we're going to, Joel's going to come and we're going to just remember Jesus's death for us on the cross. And if you have a if you haven't gotten it, there are, are communion cups in the back if you want to grab one. Um, they're a little bit complex, especially if you are a man with big fingers, okay? Um, but you, you, you push that tab down, it breaks, and then there's an a invisible seal that you peel off the top to get to the bread, and then you peel the next part and you get to the juice. Um, but... Um, before we do that, Joel's just going to bring us into a, a great communion passage talking about what, it, what this is really all about. So before we take communion, I'd like to read um, part of a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote. He was uh, writing to a church in a place called Corinth, and here's what he writes. He says, So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, which the Lord's Supper is another name for communion. He says, for when you were eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So at the time when this was written, it was fairly common for people to get together, have a meal together, and then take communion. I mean, when Jesus did that with his disciples, when he started communion. But the problem was, the people at this church, 
Well, they were demonstrating the wrong kind of wisdom. They were seeking themselves first. What works best for me? What do I want? And as a result, some of them are eating so much they're becoming gluttons, drinking so much they're getting drunk. And because of that, well, other people don't get to eat anything at all. And Paul's saying, hey, communion, it's not about eating and drinking. It's about remembering the work of Jesus and proclaiming his death until he comes again. And the church at Corinth, they missed it. They kind of missed the point. And, and I want to tell you, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, then communion, th- this is not for you. You see, in just a few verses, Paul says that if you take communion without first discerning the body of Christ, you bring judgment on yourself. So communion, it's only for those whose sins have been forgiven, for those who have been adopted into the family of God. And if that's you, let's take communion together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Oh, Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to come to earth and to die a real brutal death on a cross. Thank you that Jesus took my punishment, the the punishment that I deserved, and think that now I can have a relationship with you and spend eternity with you. God, um, also pray that we can take communion looking forward to one day you are coming again. And God, we can't wait. And I ask that that would come soon. But God, as I, as I think about this, this life and things that may or may not come, decisions I have to make, God, I ask that you give me wisdom. And for, for everyone else here, Lord, give them wisdom as well. Wisdom that doesn't just seek their own gain, but wisdom that comes from you as they seek you and put others first. I love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.